Hello and welcome to episode 1165 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, April 20th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and I'm flying solo today for the first time of the year. And today I'm talking some prospects. I've got 10 pitching prospects on the cusp that you need to be looking out for if you're in a league where you can pick prospects up early. You might want to look to see if they're available. Redraft, if it, Dynasty formats, these guys are long gone. And if you are in a format such as the NFBC, where they have to have uh, they either have to be up and and pitching before they can be picked up or have been drafted then cut before you can get them, uh, then we just need to be familiar with the names because they you know they'll come up soon and some of them are going to be those you know focused players of the week so there'll be no sneaking or anything but if I can help you kind of know who they are a bit more before they come up so you're not uh, scrambling, then all the better. And we'll start with somebody who will be bid upon this weekend. And that's Mason Miller in Oakland. Made his debut yesterday, and it was a really sharp debut. Now, he didn't go five, but boy, did he look the part instantly. Uh, He put up five Ks in four and a third during the debut. Really kind of had that poise that you look for. Now, you're judging off four and a third innings, right? And rookies are going to have their ebbs and flows, their ups and downs. So let's not pretend that, okay, he's signed, sealed, delivered, an absolute unmitigated god. But Mason Miller did a lot of good in those four and a third against the against the Cubs. Sat at 100 miles an hour with his fastball, 28% K rate, 6% walk rate, 12% swinging strike rate. Gave up a few runs, a 114 uh, whip on the day. It was two runs, four hits, and a walk. Actually, I think it's a 115 whip, just so I can be fully correct there. But Mason Miller is a guy who is really interesting because he has all of like. 20 innings in the minors. In fact, it's a little bit higher than that, but let me get the exact number. It's not a lot for Mason Miller. He's got 28 and two thirds. I really wasn't off that much there. You know, sometimes my exaggerations uh, are much closer to the actual number than they than they are to uh, to make a joke. Yeah, he's 28 and two thirds since being drafted back in 2021. So what's been going on? Well, it's a lot of your standard issue, injury issues with Mason Miller, but the stuff is so electric that it seems like Oakland decided that, hey, this guy has the tools and it's time to use his bullets at the major league level and that there's no sense letting him toil in the minors, even though he doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, sample down there. There's no sense having Miller down in the minors wasting bullets, even though they're not a good team, you should be using the bullets in the, in the big league level. And so they are bringing him up. He did have uh, one spring training outing where I think he gave up a three-run homer. I want to say it was either Cal Raleigh or Suarez. I don't remember. But uh, he had five strikeouts otherwise. And if you saw that outing, you could see you could see the stuff from Mason Miller. It's super nasty. It is that big heater that I talked about paired with a nasty breaking ball. I think he has kind of a show-me change. Um, he got has a cutter there that plays off the slider, so it's kind of a kind of a slutter deal there. They were, you know, put as two distinct pitches in the pitch types yesterday: twenty-two percent slider, fourteen percent cutter. So there there is some distinction between them, but it's kind of a it's kind of a single pitch that he dials up, dials down, angles a bit differently, and that we see that a lot with guys these days. You know, I think the first guy that we really saw it at, at the high level and worked it so many different ways was Corey Kluber's 
Hydra, as my buddy Doug Thorburn used to call it, or Slydra, really, because it was a slider that had multiple different ways to, to utilize it, that he could turn that into a slider, a curve, or a cutter. It was masterful. When, when, good, when good Kluber was on, it was something to behold. Uh, but we see a little bit here with, the, with kind of a slider, a slider cutter from Mason Miller. But again, they're going to use his bullets here in the majors. There is no real good idea of what kind of innings total he's going to be able to get this year. You're definitely flying blind as far as that goes. But he's a 24-year-old who is awesome. Um, so you want to be in. I mean, that, I, I think it's really just that simple. Now, as far as how high do you want to go, you need, you need to understand what you want to do there and what sort of risk you want to put on somebody who could be 20 innings, right? Like that, of course, that's the risk with any pitcher that they can blow up. But there is heightened risk when you're a, a guy who's had many injury issues in the past, like Mason Miller has, and you throw 100 mile per hour BBs all the time. That is absolutely going to heighten your risk. So, you know, I've talked a lot about different levels of injury risk this year and how uh, I think that the gaps between the safe guys and the injury risk guys are smaller than maybe they are sometimes perceived. But I'm not going to sit here, blow smoke up y'all's buds, and tell you that Mason Miller does not have heightened injury risk compared to somebody that you would deem safe. Uh, that said, the pitching landscape out there has been pretty terrifying. It's been quite rough with plenty of stud players getting beaten up. There's not much on the waiver wire. So this is going to be a guy that you're going to be big on. I don't know that Mason Miller's prices are going to get as high as say Taj Bradley's were this past weekend, but I think they're going to be in some triple digits when you're talking about $1,000 budgets for sure. And there'll probably be a few outlier ones that really, really get up there. If you're talking about a hundred dollar budget, you know, I'm, I'm probably depending on my situation, staying under 20%. Because again, you know, you're going to get strikeouts, but you're probably going to get managed innings. So the wins are already going to be difficult for Mason Miller because he's on Oakland. Well, what about the fact that if you don't go more than five innings, you can't, or five innings plus, then you can't get a win either. So you got multiple factors working against him there. But if you want some good ratios for the innings that he throws with gobs of strikeouts, Mason Miller is your dude. Got to talk about Brandon Fott, big time spring training guy that people were interested in on. Uh, he was vying against Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson for that fifth starters role. I know a lot of us were kind of bummed that they even re-signed Zach Davies, along with the fact that they still had Madison Bumgarner, because that blocked off two spots for having all of those guys up. Well, Madison Bumgarner was DFA'd this afternoon, shortly before I started this. Of course, I had fought on the list regardless, but I had to uh, move him up. And I, I, these aren't necessarily ranked, but Miller and Fott were moved up because A, Miller's already up, and B, Fott is now kind of maybe the next man up based on the fact that Mad Bum's DFA absolutely puts Fott in the, in, the, uh, in the crosshairs there of like, whoa, could he be the next guy up? 13 innings down at AAA, 29% K rate, 24% strikeout minus walk. Now it's a 540 ERA and a 741 FIP with a 128 whip. None of those three numbers are really going to jump out to you. But it's one mega dud, four homer outing, and two solid outings with just one homer since. So when you're talking about three starts, it only takes one bad one to soil all of the numbers. So that's why I really focus on the strikeouts and the strikeout minus walk rate. That's really going to give you the info that you need. And we saw with Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson that they struggled at AAA 
before they came up last year, and they both did very well when they came up. It's the international, or excuse me, it's the uh, PCL, the Pacific Coast League. It's a difficult environment in Reno in general. So I would not get hung up on what they do in the minors, particularly with regards to the home run rates of these Diamondback prospects or anybody really that's living in the PCL. Is he missing bats? Is he stifling walks? Yes and yes for Brandon Fott. And then that's P-F-A-A-D-T, Fott, Fott. It, it's, it's something like that. Or um, I don't think it's fat. And I know I know you don't pronounce the P because there's a city here uh, in Austin called Pflugerville that starts with a P. And it's not Pflugerville. So I know it, I definitely know it starts with an F. I think it's fought. But I, I'm seeing here actually on baseball reference that it's, they just put fought as the pronunciation, uh, like the word F-O-U-G-H-T. So whatever. Bottom line is you want this guy on your team. Now, he's an interesting one for NFBC folks because fought. Fought was drafted in a good number of leagues. And if people gave up because they needed the spot and they couldn't they couldn't hold the stash, then maybe you go look to see if he's on your wire. That's a way to maybe sneak him through. Now, of course, with the Mad Bum situation, he's going to be in focus this weekend anyway. So I doubt you're really going to sneak him, but you might be able to get him before Fought comes up the way you won't be able to with certain other guys. Uh, that I'm going to get to here unless they're called up before before Sunday, which is when uh, which is when the next bid period is. Sorry about that. I dropped some headphones there on my uh, on my desk. Next up is Matthew Libertor for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now he came up last year, and you might remember that if you're familiar with him, then it didn't go well. Uh, let's just not, no, let's not mince words here. St. Louis Cardinals prospect Matthew Libertor did not have a good debut last year. Really struggled. And ended up having to go back down. I think he came back. I think it was up and down a couple different times, perhaps. However, this spring, we saw a much better and a much different Matthew Libertor. His stuff was a lot more crisp. It was checking out really strongly on a lot of those Stuff Plus models. See our boy Eno Saros, Saros running his, uh, other ones out there. They were all checking out nicely with Matthew Libertor and, and his stuff. So he's made some stuff improvements and they're already paying some dividends at the minor league level with a 33% K rate in 22 and two thirds, a 9% walk rate, which isn't great, but it's not killing you, especially if you're missing bats like that and a 16% swinging strike rate. Last year, he was at 23% strikeouts and 11% swinging strikes. So it's a 10 point boost in K rate and a five point boost on the swinging strikes. Those are substantial gains, folks. 238 ERA, 115 whip, in those four starts for Matthew Libertor, he's got to be on the cusp here, man. I'm not really sure. You know, I'm sorry, Jake Woodford. I know you love to listen to the pod. Love and respect what you do out there. Of course, I'm joking about that. But you, you should not be in this rotation over Libertor right now. It's just not really working with what he's doing. And I hate to clown on a guy and, and kick him out of their job. But listen, baseball has to be a meritocracy. Best player's got to play. And right now, it's just not really there for what Woodford's doing. I know he's 26, so, you know, a guy who's already on the 40. Oh, I actually, I mean, Libertor's already on the 42, so that shouldn't have that shouldn't have played a role there, to be honest. But, you know, the older guy, if they do some things, team kind of wants to see where they're at with them. Okay, I mean, I know it's only 19 innings, but it's no different with Woodford than it's been in the previous 130 innings. He's got 156 innings with a 16% K rate, 7% walk rate, which is good. He's a control artist, ground ball type of guy. Um, we know... 
that that can succeed, particularly with the defense that St. Louis provides behind you. But when it goes wrong, it can go really wrong. And right now, uh, he's given up a bunch of homers, has Woodford, and it's just really not there. A three-homer game, a two-homer game, and only one homer-free start out of his four. So I wonder if there's a move there soon, uh, particularly with the fact that the pitching has failed St. Louis so much right now for their 8-11 and record, where they say, okay, it's time for take two on Libertor, and hopefully we get the good Libertor who was a, a big-time prospect coming up. By the way, I should mention Mason Miller, 98th on our top 100 list. Brandon Fott, 16th. And let me see if Libertor... Libertor was 107th on the top 100 list. So I want to make sure I'm mentioning those for you all out there as well. Next up is a really interesting guy from AA, and that is Andrew Abbott in the Cincinnati organization. Now, he is the number... Let me find that out. I think it's the number 22 prospect. I'm going off memory on that. But let me actually find out if that's still where he is. That might have been from last year. Yeah, yeah. Abbott moved up to 15 in the Cincinnati list this year. So not in the top 100, but 15 on Cincinnati's list. Well, if they redid that list right now, I can guarantee you that Eric would have Andrew Abbott quite a bit higher. He has impressed. And it's only 15 and two-thirds. But when you do this you gain some attention. The 24-year-old Abbott, uh, he's repeating AA right now. He threw 91 innings there last year, and that's where he is right now. He's going to at least get a promotion to AAA, if not all the way up to the majors soon. But he has a 64% strikeout rate in those 15 and two-thirds. I did not misread that, folks. He has 11, 14, and 11 Ks. Small sample or not, there's something that Bill James... Uh, talked about years ago, wrote about called Signature Significance that talked about where the size of a sample can be trumped, you know, because we always worry about sample size, if the quality of it reached a particular level, right? Like a 15 strikeout no hitter. Yeah, that's one game, but there is a, a particular greatness in that that doesn't eliminate the need to care about sample size, but mitigates it a bit to where you can start to take it more seriously even before the sample stabilizes. That's what we're seeing here with Andrew Abbott. There is signature significance in his 15 and two thirds with a 64% K rate, a 5% walk rate, and a 22% swinging strike rate he is just absolutely cooking right now in the minors and like i said at the very least uh, cincinnati has to call abbott up to triple a if not all the way up to the majors now of course he'll be coming up and it will be that difficult ballpark but i will say at the very least that abbott's never really had a home run issue coming up and his 11 percent walk rate in double a last year was really only the only time he had walk issues He's always been a strikeout god, but never to this obscene degree. And of course, he will not maintain a 64% rate should he continue pitching in the minors. But Andrew Abbott is a name to know. Keep him on your list. Now we're going to get into the Cleveland section of the podcast. And it's going to be a bit lengthy here because the pitching factory that is the Cleveland Guardians organization is, is about to churn out a few more folks. Listen, I'm in on the Peyton Battenfield situation. Uh, I liked him as a pickup against my Sweet Sweet Tigers this week, and I think he can do some things. He's uh, shown a nice swinging strike rate thus far, even though the strikeouts haven't quite followed. He has an 18% swinging strike rate, 20% Ks in his first two starts. Good for 169 ERA and an 094 whip. But Battenfield's not even who we're talking about here. I'm only mentioning him to say he's kind of holding the fort because I don't know that there's going to be a spot for him when all these guys are ready through no fault of his own because they've got guys coming and holy smokes, are they good? Let's start 
with Tanner Bybee. Yes, that's Bybee, not Tanner Bibby. Uh, I do have confirmation on that, that it is Bybee, uh, B-I-B-E-E. So actually, it's not on B-Ref. Where did I see that? I definitely saw that. Now I'm, now I'm second guessing myself, but I do believe that I'm 100% correct there. And so I'll see if I can find that while I'm going through some of his numbers. But Tanner Bybee, it is Bybee. Yes. Okay. I did get that right. So Tanner Bybee is really, really intriguing. Um, I believe he made the top 100. He absolutely did. Hang on. Let me get to him. Oh, he didn't? Wait, what? Tanner Bybee didn't make the top 100? Oh. Well, as you can tell, I did not uh, get these names beforehand on, as to whether or not they were on the top 100. It was kind of a last second thing where I was like, well, I should probably mention if they're on the top 100. He's fifth in the Guardians organization, but that wasn't... Oh, he's 70. For some reason... I did, oh, I, okay. That's user error. User error, y'all. I put B-I-B-B-E-E -E instead of B-I-B-E-E. -E. So that's me. That's me. I was, I was, I was kind of floored, like... Look, Eric doesn't miss like that. And there's no way Tanner Bybee wasn't on the top 100. Okay, user error. When in doubt, you know, it's, it's you, Paul. It's you. At any rate, Tanner Bybee's in AAA right now, showing out with a 31% K rate, 176 ERA, 104 whip. He does have a 13% walk rate, but I'm not particularly bothered by that. He had a five-walk outing his last time out, and that, that alone jumped it up. He had three walks in his first 11 innings. So again, when we're talking about these sample sizes, one bad outing can spoil the bunch. And, you know, to the other end, uh, as far as strikeouts go, you know, if you get 12 strikeouts in one outing, that can also inflate it. So I am making sure that that isn't the situation with certain guys. He has seven, eight, and four. The four came in four and a third for Bybee, but the five walks ran him early. So, you know, I'm making sure to not just check the negative sample sizes, uh, small sample size things, but also when they're on the positive end, I'll point out, hey, this guy does have a 20% or 40% K rate, but, you know, 15 of them came in one outing or something, if that's the case. Not the case for Bybee. So 31% K, 13% walk. I'm not worried about that. He was 6 and 5% the last two years, or last year, excuse me, at double uh, and high A combined season. He was drafted in 2021, round five. Doesn't look like he was able to get on the field after the draft or anything. So he just had last year. He dominated. He moves up to AAA this year. He's knocking on the door. And oh, guess what? Hunter Gaddis sent out. So that has a natural opening. And we'll see what they do. Are they going to go like some Connor Pilkington situation? You know, somebody who's on the 40? Or are they going to go to Bybee? I don't know. But I know that folks are hoping that they do. And I'm one of those folks because I cannot wait to see Tanner Bybee. But he's one of three Guardians that we're going to talk about here. And again, that's where they're at to the point where, I mean, Zach Plesak might need to be looking over his shoulder. Cal Quantrill and Shane Bieber, I think, are, are locked and loaded. And I know Quantrill, you know, is one of these guys that kind of plays above his core skills. So you'd be like, well, why, why wouldn't he get ousted from the rotation. I think he's put enough on the board in his career with a 356 ERA, 123 whip in about 500 innings that they're not going to they're not going to boot him too quickly. He he would need to, you know, be felled by injury to open his spot. He's going to be fine. Plus he's been fine this year. 415, 143 is not great on the ERA whip, particularly the whip, but um he's had a couple 
couple hit issues the first couple games against Seattle for Quantrill, and he's looked like himself the last couple outings, including dicing up Detroit, which is not hard, but you know, you take care of who's in front of you. So I don't think Quantrill's going to be ousted. I think Bieber, Quantrill, they're locked. Battenfield, he probably needs to be looking over his shoulder, even though he's doing well. And then Puisak, you know, he's kind of up and down, still living off some of that hype from 20 with some folks. But I think most people understand he is who we thought he was, Dennis Green style. And he's like a fourth, fifth starter type, a capable, capable major leaguer to be sure. But if Cleveland has designs on being a premium team, they might need to not only bring up Bybee, but our next guy on the list, Logan Allen. No, not that Logan Allen. Very confusing, I know, but we're getting into a Luis Garcia situation here with Logan Allens. So the Logan Allen that I was referencing there was also on Cleveland before, making it extra confusing. That is Logan Shane Allen, Logan S. Allen. And he is now 26 years old. And let's see where he's at. That Logan Allen is toiling in Colorado's AAA. So good luck to him over there, but that's going to be, it's going to be tough. Now the Logan Allen I'm actually talking about is Logan T. Allen for Taylor. And he is a 24 year old prospect in AAA. And he's off to a fantastic start over there with a 35% K rate, 26% strikeout minus walk rate, 126 ERA and a 105 whip uh, with a good, good fit too. I, I, sorry, when I do these, you know, with talking about all these prospects, I know it's a lot of numbers. I'm trying to pare down to just talk about the important numbers. So frankly, I don't even know if I need to give the ERAs because we're looking at the core skills and whether it's a, a shiny sub one ERA or in the case of Fott, an ugly 540 ERA, I don't really give a damn. You know, I want to know what their skills are and if it's, if it's going to get them called up. So you know what? For the rest of them, I'm not even going to give the ERA because I know that when you're listening and you're doing things and you're just getting a, a nonstop feed of numbers, they can all start to jumble. So I'll give you the innings, the strikeouts, and the and the K minus BB there kind of get you get you the important stuff. I'll throw in the whips too. The whip can be useful, of course, let you know what kind of base runners they're putting on. But Logan Allen is doing very well at AAA now. He I think also made the top 100. Let's make sure I spell his name right before saying whether or not he did. He was 57, so he's even higher than Bybee. And so they've got two guys here on the top 100 for the Guardians. And Logan Allen was ranked higher, uh, as, you, as you can tell. 57 is higher than, what did I say for Bybee? 71. Let's spell it right this time, Paul. 70. So 57 and 70. Let me see if our third guy is as well. Let me sort by team and look for Klee. And we got him, him, and him. Yes, all three made it. Uh, and so the other one is actually, I, sh I could have gone in their order, but I am a little bit more hyped on Bybee right now than I am Allen. So I went in my order. And I did say earlier that these weren't ranked. They, they actually kind of, well, again, they are, but they aren't. Because I put all the Cleveland guys together. I put the two guys, the one guy who's already up was the first guy. The guy who I think could get called up this weekend and fought was next. But then, like, I kind of do prefer Libertor a little bit to the Cleveland guys only because, well, that's not even necessarily true. I, I think Libertor should take Woodford's spot, but I'm not I'm not in control of it. And Abbott uh, is in double A. So yeah, they really aren't ranked. I should I should have just stuck with that and I shouldn't have even delved into saying, well, actually they're kind of not. They are, but they aren't. They're all good. And once they're, here's the thing too. Even if I did rank them, once the spot opens, once they're called up, all that goes out the window anyway. So it doesn't really matter. They're more grouped in terms of like 
uh, sort of how they fit in different ways, right? Like Miller fought. They're called up slash possibly getting called up this weekend. Libertor and Abbott, they're kind of on their own. They're not really grouped anyway. The Cleveland guys are together. Uh, number eight guy is going to be somebody who was called up last year. He's a little bit of a forgotten prospect, but he's still interesting. And then the last two aren't even prospects anymore. They're both former major leaguers, uh, but they're working their way back from injury slash don't have any room in their rotations, but they're both still guys to know. So that, it's, it's more the groupings there than it is a straight rank. So let's continue on with Logan Allen. Um, I mean, it is tough to say too much more beyond the stats and the fact that I like these guys because until spots open, there's only, you know, there's only the one spot for Gaddis. And again, somebody like Connor Pilkington could take that and keep us from getting the prospects that we want for another bit of time. But anyway, Allen is an interesting four-pitch guy. He's got quality command. He doesn't blow everyone away the way a lot of these prospects do with, with big heat. You know, Bybee's got more heat, but maybe he has a little bit of a shallower arsenal. Uh, so he probably got more swing and miss to his game. So, you know, a little bit of a dynamic difference there between Allen and Bybee. And I will say that the guy who I listed third for Cleveland, I might like even more. I definitely like him more than Allen, and I might like him more than Bybee, even though he's third on the list. But he's also a little bit further behind because with Allen, he's in AAA, um, and he was in there last year too, I think. Yes. So he had 59 and two-thirds at AAA last year and 14 and a third so far this year. So that kind of puts him on a closer track if they're going off of that. Whereas the third guy we're going to talk about is still in double A. And, uh, you know, Bybee's in triple A as well. So you got the two triple A guys. And then I'll just bring in the, the third name here. Gavin Williams is somebody who I really, really, really like. He's incredible. Um, and he did have 70 innings at double A last year, but he's still there. Nine more innings so far this year for Gavin Williams in double A. 32% K rate. Five, uh, wait, wait, I said I would only parse down the numbers. 32% K rate, 27% strikeout minus walk. And then a .86 whip. There you go. Just three numbers. That was only nine innings anyway. I'll give you last year's though too. I think that that can help more with a guy who's only got nine. Although these are all small samples. But 29% K rate last year with a 20% strikeout minus walk. And a one flat whip in 70 innings for Gavin Williams. So he's the youngest of the bunch at 23 years old. He did make the top 100 at 81. And he is unsurprisingly sixth on their prospect list. So it goes in this order, Allen, Bybee, Williams. And is, in terms of how I like them, it's Bybee, Williams, Allen. Um, and that's really, that's not really anything against Allen. All three of these guys are dope. I think if any of them get called up, I'm instantly going for them. Williams is the more like overpowering guy. However, that has led to some injury history and kind of a violent delivery that might lead him to a reliever path down the road perhaps or maybe he starts as a reliever that he could come up and be dynamic for them out of the pen while they bring up you know Bybee to start Williams to relieve and then maybe Allen down the road if another opening happens and they got all three of them up I mean their bullpen is pretty pretty interesting as it is already and pretty incredible so I don't even know if they have room there they are just a pitching factory for a reason this is why when they call up somebody I give them a second look doesn't mean I jump for every single one you know Gaddis to me always looked like a reliever so I really wasn't that interested when he was starting but Peyton Battenfield when he came up I'm like oh I'm interested he was on my list I happened to get Taj Bradley and another guy that I'm going to talk about on this list shortly so I didn't end up with Battenfield but I would have gladly you know, quote unquote, been stuck with him if I didn't get my top two guys. 
So Allen or uh, Bybee, Williams, Allen, they're all studs. The, whoever gets called up first, I think you go for all of them. Maybe not equally, kind of depends on where they're at. When they get called up, it's hard to really, you know, pin down numbers. That's why I've kind of gotten away from saying, use this much of your budget, this, that, and the other. Miller's already up, so we can t focus a bit more on numbers because we know he's up the week of, you know, it's, it's April 20th right now. We know when he's up. We know what we can, we have a general idea of what uh, we might get the rest of the year if he pitches and they manage his innings. With all the other guys, we don't know because you never know with call-ups. So that's the Cleveland portion. Hopefully Bybee is up for this uh, Gaddis send down, but we'll see. Hopefully it's one of them. No offense to Connor Pilkington, who also listens. It is weird that I, I happen to be kind of negative on Jake Woodford and Connor Pilkington, two players who always listen to the pod and you know are always saying how much they enjoy it. And here I am talking, talking trash. That's, that's kind of rude of me. Um, and for those of you that can't detect my sarcasm, of course they don't listen. But uh, I think I think people pick that up. I, I I doubt I had to underline that that's the case. But like Pilk, you know, he, he's a decent fill-in when you got a doubleheader. He's a solid, capable major leaguer, I think, but probably more in like a two-inning stint out of the bullpen as a like a long relief type. He's not really doing anything in AAA. In fact, he's he's really getting his clock cleaned. So I just really hope it isn't him, because, I mean, he doesn't deserve it, right? Like. Can we just be honest about it? As it stands right now, Connor Pilkington does not deserve the opportunity. However, the reason I even bring him up is because he's on the 40. And that does matter because, um, you know, being on the 40 is a big advantage to getting called up, particularly when the 40 man is full and particularly if the team deems the, the need to be a short-term situation. In fact, let me see when Savale and... Uh, McKenzie are working the way back because we're talking about all these prospects and they got two solid ass guys getting ready to work their way back in, in relatively short order anyway. So Savale, uh, let's see, no word yet on the severity. Okay, so he's going to be missing a few weeks from April 10th. So it's only been 10 days for Savale. Don't see anything um, any more than the April 10th update. Tristan McKenzie, let's see what he's been up to. Because that muddies up the whole water here with all these great prospects. He began a throwing program on Friday. So that was that was on the 15th. So the day before, April 14th, he had begun a throwing program. But he's not eligible to return from the 60-day until May 29th. So there's a whole ass month plus before McKenzie can come back. So Savali is the one that, that we have to kind of worry about if he comes back in relatively short order that could prevent one of these prospects from coming up and being able to make a real impact but no word on him being back soon so put them off to the side the here and now says they have a spot open you know what the last thing i want to check before i move on to the other guys what's their schedule look like next week do they even need a fifth because that can be a big deal as well and i'm looking at cleveland and they have six games next week so they've got Plesak today or excuse me they're off today thursday Plesak on Friday, Bieber and Battenfield. That's their series against Miami. Then it would be Gaddis's spot on Monday. So that's, that's when Tanner Bybee could go. And I believe Bybee threw yesterday. So if he threw yesterday, one, two, three, four, five, guess what? Monday's his next throw day. I mean, it's perfect. Come on. Okay, so let me give you this last big thing or last little bit before we move on to the next guys. If you are in a league that is just, you know, free free form pickups, you don't have to wait till guys are called up or anything, and Bybee's available, that is who I would spec on over Williams 
and Allen. First off, Williams is probably more of a summer call-up anyway. He's in double-A. Doesn't mean he couldn't make the jump. We see guys make the jump from double-A these days. That is not impossible at all. But I think with you know two other prospects in triple-A who have just as high of upsides, I think that Bybee is the guy that if I'm in a fastest finger, Yahoo, ESPN, CBS, whatever league that allows you to pick up minor leaguers, Bybee's who I'm going for. And again, that's B-I-B-E-E. -E. looks like Bibby, it's Bybee. All right, so that's the Cleveland portion. Now let's go to a guy that I really like. He's not a top 100 type, but I'm still really bought in on Chase Silseth for the Angels. I don't know. Maybe it could just be kind of the anchoring effect of watching him last year in a couple starts. And look, the numbers that he put up last year, they're not good, right? So some of you might be rolling your eyes right when I say that. Like, what do you mean the numbers he put up last year? Those sucked shit, you idiot. They weren't very good. But I watched him, and when you're watching a guy... You know, unless they just get completely housed every every batter that they face, you're probably going to see some good things. And I saw the elements of how I think it can work with Chase Silseth. Now, he might really just be best deployed as a major league reliever. I, I could certainly see a world where that's the case. But he's still starting right now, and that, that's how they're going to work him. He's 23 years old, and why not? They need, they need starting pitching, and they should continue to work him as such until it's very clear that he can no longer start. But he might eventually move over to the bullpen. He's a, he's a smaller guy from the right side. You know, he's listed six feet, which means he's probably closer to 5'10". That's, that's just the truth of the matter. Because if he, if he were truly six feet, he, he would list at 6'1", 6'2". That's just the nature of how the sports uh, listings work, folks. You know, if you're listed 5'11", you're 5'7". I mean, that's just the nature of it. And I'm not, I'm not shading anybody just because I'm a lanky dweeb. You know, yeah, I'm tall, but I, I am the weight of a 5'8", 5'9", guy at the height of 6'5". So, you know, I'm not, I'm not acting like I'm better than anybody just because I got a little lank to me. But that's normally how these, uh, these listings work with the, with the heights. If, if you're 6 on the button, you're going to juice it a little bit. So if, you, if you're listed 6 you're a little bit shorter. And the only reason I bring that up is because there is a little bit of a bias against shorter right-handers and, and their ability to kind of hold up to the rigors of, of starting every fifth day. Yeah, I remember it was talked about a lot with Sonny Gray when he was becoming a thing. And for a while, he was kind of bucking that, saying, oh, yeah, I'll show you guys. Um, and he, what happened? He started to reach a lot of injury issues in recent years after putting up a couple 200-inning seasons. He hasn't reached 180 since then. Now, he's put up some great numbers, but they've been in more of like 130, 140-type seasons. And we know Marcus Stroman has had issues at times as well. And, um, you know, it's not that you can't be good. There is question about how much workload you can handle. But Chase Silseth, for the Angels, I do believe can be very good, though, too. So he, well, we can worry about the volume later. I like the start that he's off to in AAA, and I think there should be an opening soon. 20 innings with a 26% K rate, 16% strikeout minus walk, and a .90 whip. So he is allowing some walks there, as you can tell by the strikeout minus walk, but he's not allowing very many hits at all. And he can be difficult to square up when he's on because he's got uh, a decent fastball when he's commanding it. And a good breaking ball. The uh, the slider can be good. And the splitty, splitties are tough, though, too. And that's why he was so volatile in the sample that we saw last year. And it was kind of just the, the standard issue splitty volatility that when it was working, he could really deal. When it was off, trouble. Walks, homers, you know, the, the whole thing. In fact, he only had two homer-free outings. Uh, he had a pair of 
two homer games, and there was just, you know, there was troubles at times with Silseth across his seven starts at the majors last year. But I'm interested to see what he can do in round two, see what he's learned from his first trip up to the majors, see how he's progressed since then. And while they are running a six, I guess, it, you know, I, I think I just alluded to the fact that there should be an opening soon. That's actually not really true because I don't know if they're going to give up on Jose Suarez yet. And they are running a six. So, yes, that's an extra potential slot. But unless they kick Suarez back to the bullpen, there really isn't an opening. So they haven't said. I, I made that sound more definitive than it is. That's why I'm pe- pulling back on that a little bit. As far as we know, Suarez is scheduled to make his next start. That said, he has been struggling quite a bit. And I know he was a popular breakout pick. I liked him as well. By the way, I'm not throwing shade on folks that liked him. I know Justin did. Jeff did. Um, I I liked what Suarez could do too. So I thought he could be somebody who could be pretty good. I don't think that... I shouldn't say it in the past tense as though these three starts have eliminated that fact. However, he might start to lose some opportunity if things don't change soon. So he got beat up in New York a bit. And based on the six, he will not start um, again this week, which does put him on track for a two-step next week, home to Oakland and at Milwaukee. Now, with Suarez, getting an Oakland start in a two-step, I do think he he fits the, the rule that I like to talk about. If you can't start a guy on a two-step, you probably need to cut him. If you're holding Suarez and you can't find the way to get him in the rotation, you know, because you probably have more in a, in a deep league anyway. In 10s and 12s, if you had him, you probably moved on. And uh, otherwise, he's probably not rostered in a lot of 10s. So if if having Oakland on the slate isn't enough, then what are you holding on for, right? I, I'm not big on the whole, like, let me, let me see him do something. I, there's some merit to that at times. And I'm not saying I never do that, but it's Oakland. They're the perfect remedy for anybody. And if you don't think that that can get Suarez right, then you don't really have enough confidence in him, I think, to hold him, especially when roster spots are precious. The only thing I could say to the contrary there as a counterpoint is like, there might not be anything else to pick up. So if you hold him for that fact, but you still bench Suarez, that I would understand. But I do hope that uh, that Silseth gets another opportunity soon because I really do think that he could make some noise this year for the Angels. He last started yesterday, the 19th. So that'd be one, two, three, four, five. That put him on track for Tuesday. So that wouldn't really work uh, for taking Suarez's spot, who starts on Monday. Unless, well, no, they could move Canning up. One, two, three, four. Yeah, can because of the way they work their six man, they could actually finagle it if they wanted to give Suarez a breather and just say, oh, let's go. You go to the bullpen for a little bit. We'll get Silseth back up. That would work. Canning to Monday and then Silseth on Tuesday. So we'll see if they do that. There's no rumblings about that or anything. That is pure spec right now, but I do like Chase Silseth. And then the last two guys that we're going to talk about here in these 10 prospects to keep an eye on, it should really be 10 minor leaguers because these two are not prospects. Uh, but I, I think I, well, I could change it. I haven't put it out yet, but I am going to title it 10 prospects. I think that's this is a better title. I think it's more interesting, you know, to see a prospect uh, episode as opposed to just minor leaguers. Does it really matter? Probably not. If people who are going to listen to it are going to listen to it no matter what. I don't think I'm changing that many minds. But I do want to acknowledge that I know that Bailey Ober, our next guy, and then Michael Soroka, our last guy, they're not prospects anymore. Uh, but Bailey Ober with Minnesota, we we kind of know we kind of know about him, and we know how good he can be. We know his issues. 
And I think the biggest issue right now is there's no room at the inn. Uh, the way they're working things. And I will say Maeda did leave his start today after getting hit by a comebacker. Now he's returning from TJ, so he's had some, some bumps uh, with that, with fatigue and whatnot. But then today, it wasn't because of that. He got hit with a batted ball, and that's why he left early. Of course, by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure you already know that. Uh, but with Ober, they've got Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Kenta Maeda, and Tyler Molly. There, there is no room. And they probably want to keep him on schedule with starting as opposed to bringing him up and putting him in the bullpen, which I totally understand. But if something is amiss there with Maeda and say, I don't know, you know, uh, his, his leg swells up or something and this contusion happens to be a bigger issue than, it se than we're hoping that it is right now, then that could be, then that could be the, the opening for Bailey Ober. So let's get into what Bailey Ober's doing in the minors this year. 18 innings with a 30% K rate, 22% strikeout minus walk, and a 108 whip. Uh, last year in 56 innings, he put up a 321 ERA and a 105 whip. He did great. It's just that injury stifled him and limited him to 56 innings. So that's the whole deal right now is that Bailey Ober is hurt. He just needs an opportunity. Now, we don't wish for injury on anybody else. But if Maeda happens to have an issue that does require some time off, that will def definitely open the door for Ober. And I, you know, I took I took a spec on him. I'm not huge on stashing in the main event because we only have seven reserve spots, no IL, no minor league. It's just your seven reserves and that's it. And generally you need those spots uh, too much to, to stash all that much. And I also have a couple injured guys that I cannot cut with Verlander and, and Seager. So I'm really rocking five reserves. However, I thought Ober's talent with the way pitching is, and these are 15 team mixed leagues with the way that pitching is on the wire, remarkably sparse. I felt getting a talent like that at a, at a fair price before he comes up, you know, because then once, once he's coming up, let's say he is announced coming up on a Saturday, that's going to send Bailey Ober's price through the roof on a Sunday, which is when we do bids in the main event. So getting him for $26 out of 1000 I felt was a worthy spec right now. And hopefully I can maintain a position where I can continue to hold him and I don't have to make a tough decision to cut him um, before he comes up. It shouldn't be too long. You know, just the nature of pitching is that something will happen and opening will come around. Uh, there have been multiple guys with injury issues in this rotation. Again, we're not rooting for injury. I'm not trying to say that the, one of these guys, uh, you know, should get hurt or anything, but let's just, let's just be honest about it too. We know how things go with health. And so hopefully my hate, my hate is all right, but if they do need to turn to Ober, I'll be ready. And then our last guy, I already mentioned him, Michael Soroka. He is going by Michael now. Just so you know, I'm not trying to be too formal with him. That is the name that he wants to go by. And uh, of course, I'll oblige that. That's his name. So Michael Soroka has dealt with multiple injuries. He has not pitched prominently in the majors for quite some time or, or in the majors at all, really, since the 2020 season, only 13 and two thirds that year. And then prominently back in 2019, when he had a hell of a breakout season, 268 ERA, 111 whip with a solid 14% strikeout minus walk. But it's been a minute and it's been multiple injuries for Soroka. He's trying to battle back. He got hurt while rehabbing and it's just been, it's been a pain. And you got to feel for the guy because 
He would have had a very, very bright future in front of him. That was age 21 when he put up that big 2019 season. And you're thinking, wow, this guy can barely drink in the States. And here he is putting up an excellent season on a quality team. The future is bright. And then injury, the injury bug came in and said, not so fast, my friend. But he's working his way back. 14 innings, 25% K rate, 17% strikeout minus walk, and a 110 whip for Soroka. And so... He's right back on track. In fact, a bit bit better with the strikeouts. Of course, that could be just the nature of pitching in AAA. Because if you got a 25% in AAA, you probably slice a few percentage points off of that for a major league projection. And his major league uh, mark is 20%. So he'll probably be in that 20 to 22% range. But that's fine when you don't walk anybody. And you can really go deep into games when you're on, which is exactly what Soroka can do. So I don't have any issues with that. You can get your strikeouts elsewhere. And again, with the nature of... Uh, waiver wires right now you can't really afford to be that picky so you know even if you do prefer more more strikeouts if he comes up Soroka's just somebody I think you got to go for right now because there he has a lot of talent and he'll be on a great team when he comes up so I don't know what the outlook is for that uh, he had his first six inning outing last time out it was three and two thirds then four then six they were kind of working him up 61 pitches 69 and then 91 so now it looks like he's in a groove to be able to consistently go five plus as far as their rotation goes they've got uh they've had a lot of turnover there already this year they're currently rocking freed strider morton and right, those are locks. And then Bryce Elder's in that fifth spot. They tried out Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd. Um, Ian Anderson's injured in the minors right now. Uh, so Soroka, I think, is the next man up. I think the next time there's an opening, he's got to be the guy. I I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. Right now, obviously, the only one who would really be pushed out, I think, would be Elder. And he's not really there right now. He's pitching well. I'm saying if his performance really, really fell off. But he also pitched pretty well last year. So performance-wise, I don't think Elder's really going to create an opening um, unless he just really starts turning the tide on the first 72 innings that we've seen from him because he has a 21% K rate, 12% strikeout minus walk, 276 ERA, and a 124 whip. So that whip's a bit higher than that ERA would normally suggest. And you heard the 12% strikeout minus walk, which is a bit lower than you would think with such good ERA as well. So the bottom line is that ERA is slated for a come up. And the 424 Sierra agrees there. So he's, he's good, but he's not elite. But Bryce Elder's not asked, being asked to be more than like a fifth starter type anyway. So Soroka's a bit further out right now, I think, because there is no clear opening. But hey, the second things are humming for a team the injury bug comes and bites. And again, I'm not predicting it. I'm not wishing for it. It's just a fact of the matter when it comes to pitchers. So there you go. There's 10 prospects in minor leaguers on the pitching side that you need to be mindful of. One of whom is already up. Should already be getting your bids ready for Sunday in leagues that you have to do weekly bidding on. And then Brandon Fott could be up any minute with the DFA of Bumgarner. Uh, Mason Miller is the first guy, by the way, if I didn't re-say re his name. So Mason Miller, Brandon Fott, Matthew Libertor for the Cardinals, Andrew Abbott for Cincinnati. He's probably a summer guy. He's in double A right now, and they have no, no rush because they're terrible. But uh, keep him on your radar for sure. He's just killing it. The Cleveland trio, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, Chase Silseth with the Angels, Bailey Ober with Minnesota, and Michael Soroka with Atlanta. 
Good luck, y'all. And uh, don't don't bid me up on Miller if you're in my league, okay? Let me let me get him too, because my team sucks. I did get lucky to get Taj Bradley. Let me get Mason Miller on the cheap and see if I can work this thing around again, because my team my team needs a lot of help. But uh, happy bidding this week on Mason Miller if you choose to take the plunge. Have a good weekend. Take care.